Hey, this is Dali, and you're listening to the Fear the Sword podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Bottom, a Fear the Sword podcast, a new Fear the Sword podcast. I am Chris Manning, the site manager over at fearthesword.com, SB Nation's calf site. And joining me is going to be my co-host into this journey, David Zavok from fearthesword.com. David, how's it going? Hey, it's going really good. Happy to be here. So today, everyone, is the first episode of The Bottom. That is, of course, a Fred McLeod catchphrase. It's a little bit of a double meaning as opposed to what he means it because the Cavs are near the bottom of the league right now. Not a very good team, but we're also going to talk through everything. We just needed a Cavs-E topic. This is also the launch of the broader Fear the Sword podcast network. Now, it is a, let's go, let's say smaller network to start. You're going to have this show, which will go about two times a week on average, this show with me and David, and then a group chat show where it'll be likely David and I, but also some of your other favorite Fear of the Sword contributors and perhaps some past alumni of the site as well, and we can snag them in their busy, busy lives. We'll also have the Thick Jacked Frames podcast, a draft podcast hosted by Trevor Magnani that will drop every Monday. So if you're listening to this, the next podcast coming up is going to be that episode one of Thick Jacked Frames. Now, Currently, we are not on Apple Podcasts anywhere else. We have to get this in through Megaphone first and get it settled before the great Vox Media crew can help us get into Apple Podcasts. But subscribe soon. Search for Fear the Sword in Apple Podcasts in the next couple days, and that'll be on there and wherever you get podcasts as well. So, David, we're going to let's get right into it. So, the big Cavs thing right now, we're past the deadline and we're going to talk about the deadline. It's Kevin Love is back. And this was more of a cameo for Kevin Love as opposed to a full-fledged return. He played six-ish minutes against the Wizards on Friday. Uh, I thought looked all right. Had a really nice post-up on Jeff Green, got to the line, missed all of his threes. But it was good to see Kevin back. And for me, I just actually had fun watching them in a way that I haven't in a while because I think him just being there is going to make things function just a little bit better, raise that floor a little bit for this team, at least in terms of what they're going to be able to do what did you think of of Love? And were you surprised that he only played that that he got that quick burn, as they said, as he came yeah. back? Yeah, I mean, I think just in terms of even like um, trying to manage fans' expectations, I thought it was a little strange that he only played that that much time. Now, if that's what the doctor is is saying is is the best way to bring him back, or if that's all he feels comfortable doing. I'm not going to question, you know, the method or, or the madness. Um, but, uh, you know, for, to, to, to make a big deal about him coming back, then only play six minutes and then shut him down the next night. And then to not sort of like say that before the game, right. Or, or, or in the days leading up to the game, um, it was a little surprising. I don't think it, it, it matters. Um, I think he looked pretty good. I think he brings a level of competence that, you know, we just haven't seen throughout the year. Um, the the thing about the Cavs this year is the defense has been so horrific, but um, they've really relied on players like Jordan Clarkson to carry the offense at times. I don't know that he can really do it consistently. So I think just getting uh, more players who know what they're doing have, have established themselves in the NBA is, is a good thing. And We've been talking about them on almost, you know, getting healthier for a while. You know, maybe it'll finally start to happen. For me, the, the th- I thought it was funny just how it was rolled out. I, I get why they're doing it that way. The Cavs, I think, historically are not a franchise that I, I think does go out of their way to be super 
like they're very cautious about this kind of stuff, right? Like, and I and I think there's value in that. I think um, they also, if you were, there's like two people on the beat right now that are traveling with the team, or at least there are sometimes in Joe Varden and Chris Fedor, and they were both in DC. They both like discuss, they tweeted about a a Cavs PR official who I have an idea. I've an I a very good guess about about who it was, but they were like standing there being like, Kevin is, is fine. He's like not hurt or anything. He's just going back to the locker room. This is the plan. Like that, that's the kind of thing they do. I do think like it was interesting to see Kevin basically say how weird it was for him to come back this way because he's had all these other injuries. And this is something I honestly did not think about when he originally got hurt. He's had the back injuries. He's had the, uh, the shoulder injury, obviously he's had that, the hand breaks, he basically said he's never really had an injury quite like this because it meant he couldn't run or walk or do any cardio for several months. And when that happens, like basically you can't stay in shape and you're already going to have an issue getting back into shape, but it maybe means that it's going to take him longer just to get fully acclimated. I was not surprised that he didn't play the back to back. I didn't expect him to coming back, but it was interesting to see that for him, they he did just sort of like notice like, yeah, this is weird. I was really happy to be back, all that. But it was weird for him because of the cardio issue. And I wonder what that means because we are going into a stretch of the season where he's going to like – he said he'll play one to two games the rest of the way before the break. So that could mean he only plays Monday against the Knicks or Wednesday against the Nets or he plays both. I guess maybe it depends how he feels. But it also means like the, we as we get into the All-Star break and he gets time off and I don't know – what the plan is. I don't know if he's going to stay in Cleveland, if he's going to go get a little vacation. And I don't quite know what the plan is as far as the rehab. And that's something we'll have to ask this week, but it seems like it's going to take him time in a season that has about a little over 30% of its games left for him to get fully healthy and good. And that's to be expected, but it also does kind of lessen the impact he might have the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, I think there's 26 games left and if he's, you know, you know, kind of going on and off like this, you know, is he going to get 20 full games? Um, you know, that, that would be fine. I mean, I think that would help Colin Sexton. I think that would help Chetty Osmond. Um, so there's just not a lot of clarity, I guess. I, I guess I just have not seen, you know, we see guys come back and that, you know, they, they won't play the second night of a back-to-back. Um, that happens regularly. Um, but it's kind of interesting, the points that you're raising where like, on one hand, he's has all of these issues, and so you have to ease him back in. But at the same time, like, how is he going to get in game shape if that's where he's at? So, um, but then part of it is they probably are just kind of tanking. But um, at the same time, I not I wanna kind of him. they're they're tanking. Let's just yeah. be frank about it. They're, they're tanking. Yeah, but you know, I want to see I want to see you know some some development, and you know, we're starting to see a little bit of it from from Colin Sexton, um, but there's got to be a reason to turn the games on uh, as well. Was there a part of love being back that you were most interested in? Was there, was there something with the pace, the the type of sets they ran? Was there anything that stood out to you? And again, it's a very small window that we actually saw Kevin love on the court, but was there anything that he did that really jumped out to you in that time? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if, if you're just looking for, for little things that, that you've liked throughout the year, um, I think Chetty Osmond has been a little bit more of a, a ball handler um, in the half court than maybe I would have guessed. You know, I think I, you know, everybody's, I mean, his, his long-term home hopefully is as some sort of three and D type guy who can get out and transition, but he's been able to, 
you know, uh, run some offense a little bit. So, um, I want to see some, some Osman and, and Kevin Love, um, interplay and, in action. Um, you know, I, I think you've alluded to it too. They, they have a lot of money invested in Larry Nance, Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love. And I think like theoretically, that's a pretty good front line, um, that should reasonably fit together. I think it's hard for Tristan and Larry, but those are three guys that I think you can mix and match and, and give minutes to. And I just, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually seeing what that looks like. I will say the thing that jumped out to me was there was one play where it was a Nawaba Nance pick and roll. Love is on the other side of the floor. Obviously Kevin should be the featured guy and they did run a post up for him his first possession. They had him, um, you know, his best bucket of the game was really that jet, the score he had on, on old Cavalier, Jeff Green, a, a friend of Kevin Love's. But the, the play that I was like most engaged by was Love is on that left block. You have the, the Nawaba Nance pick and roll, which isn't like going to light the world on fire, but is at least like they ran it competently. The pass ends up being a feed to Love in the other corner. And Jeff Green just a, completely just forgot that Kevin Love was there, but also just generated space around the rest of the floor that we haven't seen very much of. And as much as like, again, I think Kevin should be getting touches at the post um, on the block. Every, all, all of the places he is most comfortable and stuff should work around what he's going to do for a large chunk of the time he is on the floor. I do think there is going to be a lot of value in Kevin Love being able to to be the, the the spacer that he was around LeBron, but to maybe do a lesser degree, but it's going to help those pick and rolls. It's going to create a better avenue for Colin Sexton to pass to, for Jetty to pass to. It's going to make defenses kind of defend those pick and rolls a little less tightly. And maybe, maybe there's going to be some residual effect where Kevin is spacing the floor a little bit and it's a Nance Sexton pick and roll and Sexton has more room to throw up a lob that we haven't seen him do. Like, I just feel like there might be some positive benefits there too. As much as I love seeing some of the stuff we're going to see where it's directly involving Kevin and that has a ton of value. He's still going to have a lot of value in the role he played the last couple of years, I think. And I think that one play that Nawaba Nance pick and roll to me was the indication that that, that might be true. It should not be the main thing he does, but I hope we do see some of it. Yeah. And like, even just in terms of like, having fun watching the Cavs play basketball, right? Like how much more fun is it when you see, I mean, I guess you've seen a little bit when when they wear matching suits and stuff like that, but seeing Tristan and LeBron out on the, or not LeBron, sorry, seeing Tristan and Kevin Love out on the floor together, picking each other up, um, you know, laughing after a dunk or a three or something like, I mean, it's just, they're, seeing actual pretty good basketball players when you turn on a Cleveland Cavaliers game, um, I think just would, would make things more fun, even if it's just some nostalgia going on. Um, I think that's right. And I think like Tristan should be back soonish. You know, I think I, my, my, my level and interest in just what this team's going to do the last chunk of the season, just Kevin being back opens up a lot of possibilities opens up some different sets that they just can't run without a guy like Kevin Love. They've run facsimiles of them um, with Larry Nance, you know, kind of doing some dribble handoff stuff inside or on the elbows, but we're going to see more of that stuff um, with Kevin Love. But we're going to take a quick break here, our first break, and then we're going to be back to talk a little bit about the post-deadline roster. So stay tuned for more of The Bottom, brought to you by Fear the Sword. Okay, David, let's get into post-trade deadline stuff. 
Different roster. Alec Burks out. Rodney Hood out. Nick Stauskas, Wade Baldwin in for like a cup of coffee. They're out. The Cavs are left with a roster that has Brandon Knight on it now, who his biggest connection to the Cavs before this was being nuked on national television by Kyrie Irving away a while back. And then you also bring in Marquise Chris, who is a disappointing lottery pick with the Suns, went to the Rockets, and now is a Cavalier. Kevin obviously is it's his own version of an acquisition, but it's a different roster. I think it's a worse roster, but they got picks. What what's use the big uh, storyline coming it out? It took of, them a little longer than I would have liked, but they came around to where they are and and what they need to do. Um, and I don't know if if they were a little late to the tanking um, asset accumulating party, either because they needed to sell it to the owner or if they genuinely thought they had a roster that, that would compete. Um, I think it's a little bit of an all of the above. I mean, they really have been slammed by injuries. I don't know how much better they'd have been otherwise, but you do give them a little bit of credit. You know, they couldn't necessarily have anticipated this is what they'd get from Kevin Love. But um, I, I think their roster in terms of where they are just – makes more sense now um and that's um until they get and this is kind of what i kept saying over the summer um there isn't a top 20 player on the roster you can't win in the nba without top 20 players you're probably not going to get one through free agency they're over the cap anyway so the only way to really find one is probably through the draft um they are, are in a position hopefully that you know uh, even though the NBA's made things harder, they can can maybe get there uh, this upcoming June. Um, but it, you know, the only things that that don't make sense now are that you have this big Kevin Love contract and you still don't have your your coach of the future. Um, so they could have avoided both of those things over the summer by you know, coming to some sort of agreement with Ty Lue in order to move forward, just given where the roster was, um, that didn't happen. Um, and also, you know, now Kevin Love is, is under control for a lot of money for a long time. Um, now I don't think either of those are like damning things and, and they're picking up first round draft picks. And I think that's good. And, um, it seems like teams are getting a little bit better, um, at drafting overall. So hopefully, um, the Cavs are, are in on, you know, some of the analytics and some of the scouting changes that have led to that. So the hope is that they draft a little bit better than they did um, the last time that they were tanking like this. But um, the moves that they made make sense. I think where we are at now in the Colby Altman timeline is we're, we're starting to, I think, get data points about what he is good at and what he's valuable, uh, what what he's what he's smart about, what he what he prioritizes. We're not at the big data points yet, right? Like I think you hit on something important here that the Cavs don't have their coach of the future yet, and it's too early for us to know who they're going to interview, who they are going to seriously consider hiring, who is going to get the nod. We're we're months away from that now. If they, you know, if the season I think ends April, it's April twelfth ish around there. You would, you would expect they'd probably have a coach like within a couple weeks after that. So they'll have you know some time to get that coach in to kind of start developing the system, kind of have the vision of that coach in there. He can round out his staff or her staff, 
and then they can go into the draft with with that vision in place. And especially because at that time they will have they will know what pick they have. So you know, it's obviously I don't think you hire a coach based on you have to hire a coach that's about player development. But like it's going to be a different type of team and roster when you get if you get yeah, Zion versus I, getting like Jared Cole. Well, I was just gonna just to add in there. I think I do think you know one yeah, of the nice things about Colin Sexton's year is that um, he will absolutely play in summer ball. <laughs> so if they have a if they have a coach, um, and, you know, <laughs> he comes in and, and starts teaching. Um, I think Colin will be there. Colin has to be there. I, I think there's no way around the fact that he should be playing at summer league. That's like a conversation for the end of the year about where he's at. But I don't think there's a world where he shouldn't play at summer league. I think we need. I mean, it'll be like anxiety inducing for Cavs fans if he gets there and like doesn't dominate. But like uh, that, like that's that's the path for him. I think based on just how he's played this year. Um, I do think like I want to see what they this summer will. I think be the overall like turning point of, of sort of where this. Altman driven team post the love injury post the the data uh, post the collecting all the draft picks what that leads to so they'll have a coach they'll have a draft pick they'll have another first round draft pick likely because the Rockets are going to make the playoffs they're going to have to you know reshape the roster a little bit because of all the bigs they have signed we're going to have an idea of what Kobe Altman values and I think that that I have a column going up about this after the sword um in the in the coming day or so sort of about this about how this is the the start of Altman's real process here but I think we're in the the we're starting to get to the points in his reign as GM that are going to define what he is as a GM at least as, as for this franchise um if he you know he could hit on half of these and it could get him fired in a year he could hit on all of them and, and be around for a long time. It seems like he does have a good relationship with Dan Gilbert. That certainly matters for something. I don't know how long his contract is, but it's worth noting that Dan Gilbert's never rehired a GM, resigned a GM to do contract when they've reached the end of theirs. So like there, there, there's some weirdness going on there, of course, but we're starting to get to the point where Kobe Altman again is going to put his stamp on the franchise and Mike Gainsey is going to help there too. And Brandon Weems and all these guys, but we're going to start figuring out what kind of GM Altman is. And that that's really exciting. And then two, how that, how, what, what the love contract means for that, what the Nance extension, what Tristan's future is. There's just a lot of big things on the horizon that aren't going to be occurring as we watch the end of the season, but they're there. And then to me, the trade deadline is the, is the start of that. Um, as far as the two guys they bring in, David, Brandon Knight, um, Marquise Chris, I think do either of them Brandon Knight could be interesting in the sense, um, that like we were hoping Alec Burks would be interesting, like we were hoping Rodney Hood would be interesting, and that um, he certainly has um, every every motivation, every reason to play well, work hard, um, and try and get himself another contract beyond uh, next season, right? So. Um, you know, he makes $15.5 million next year. That's a nice expiring contract for the Cavs uh, for next season. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, maybe he comes in and he's fighting for his place in the NBA period, right? So, um, you know, he's always been sort of a, a, a guard that didn't, you know, could could play with other point guards. So I don't think... Um, you know, you can't play him with Colin Sexton necessarily. 
Um, but at the same time, he's just really hasn't been very good since like his age 23 season, which was four years ago now. So um, is there anything there? Probably not, but um, you know, he has every incentive to, to try and come out and, um, and resurrect his career. Um, in terms of Marquise Chris, uh, his three point shot looks good to me. Um, but he does some pretty silly things on the court at the same time. Um, so, you know, for a player that young to have been given up on multiple times is, is generally not a good sign, but you know, he's got 26 games to, to see what he can do. Yeah, he if they're not tied to him beyond this year, I think that's a positive. I think he certainly doesn't have the feel for the game you would sort of hope a lottery pick would have, but we'll see if he can turn around. I think he should get minutes. I, I How Larry Drew handles the front court is going to be one of the more interesting parts of the season because you already have Love's back, Nance. Thompson, you would think, is back soon unless he just gets shut down for the year, which would be odd to me, but I guess is possible. You have Chris, who's a four, should not be playing a three. Ivante Zizic, who's been good enough the last couple of weeks where he probably should be getting time to see if there's anything there. And then John Henson theoretically could be back this season too. So that's like six bigs. And David Nawaba plays the four, um, at least nominally to some degree too. So like, I, I wonder what Larry Drew does there. And I wonder if that bucks Chris out of getting an opportunity because if he, if like Thompson comes back, I can't imagine it will play well with him or love or anyone or just, and just with the general competence of the team, if it's like, hey, Marquise Chris is going to play 20 minutes tonight, Tristan, so we're just going to like give you the night off. And plus, Channing is there too. And like, I just, there's a lot of bigs for not a lot of time in a league that doesn't value a lot of bigs. So that, that to me is just sort of the little wrinkles there. Knight has an easy fit, I think, but um, they yeah, don't, I don't really know what to do with crazy. Chris when um, everyone is actually healthy. The only thing I can say is we just still don't know when that health is actually going to come. So in the meantime, you know, he gets to play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to take one more break here, and then we're going to come back to talk about Colin Sexton, the Cavs rookie point guard. So stay tuned for more of the bottom, a fear the sword podcast. Stay tuned. Okay, David, let's wrap up the debut episode of the bottom. Let's by talking about Colin Sexton, I'm going to give you an open-ended question and we'll go from there. Where are you at in the Colin Sexton experience right now? Where I mean, are you at with if we're talking the full season? It's 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 tough so to be happy, but um, if you look at you know what he's been able to do um, over the last maybe two weeks, um, you know, I, for a long time I had said I I, I just want to see a couple games where he really looks comfortable and really looks like he can score in this league, um, and he finally seems to be doing that a little bit. Um, wasn't fantastic last night or anything like that, but um, I think against Boston and against the Wizards, um, he looked like an NBA player. Um, you know, he scored 27 points in back-to-back games. Um, even last night took a step back, but he still had more points than shots, which, again, baby steps. He made all three of his three-point attempts uh, heading into that game. He had taken seven attempts in the two games before, so he's taking more threes. Um, I think if you look at his last three games, it's almost certainly the best three game stretch of his, uh, season. Um, and again, three games is three games and we need to see 
sample sizes that are a lot more um, a lot more robust. But um, now is kind of a time where you know take take the opportunity to feel good about him. He's he's seems to be changing his shot selection a little bit. Um, the defense is still a disaster, um, particularly against. Uh, Washington. Um, I noticed a couple possessions where he just, you know, they're just blowing by him. But his true shooting rate over the last three games, I know it's it's a really small sample, but fifty nine percent. So, um, got to got to feel a little bit better about that. What do you feel like is the the biggest thing that is holding him back? Like, do you think it's structural issues with the team? Do you think it's just his? I don't. I don't think he's quite strong enough yet. Do you think? Do you? What do you think is like actually the reason that Colin? I think for the um, I, I, you made that point, and, and I, I, I think I saw you talking about it with Justin. Broken. I thought that was really smart um, in, in terms of the strength issue. Um, that could definitely be an issue in terms of. Um, his uncomfortableness pulling up from three, um, that sort of thing. He's not playing with um, anyone who's gifted at, at passing the ball, really. Um, so in terms of getting spot-up opportunities, I don't know that he knows how to even put himself in position to get spot-up opportunities, but he's certainly not going to um, get a whole lot of help from the guys that he's been playing with. Um he his his instinct is to take shots that are not good right and so um there's there's this tension between um shots that feel comfortable for him and you want him to be taking shots that are comfortable for him um there's a tension between that and the shots that are comfortable for him are the shots that the other team wants him to take. And that's part of why they're comfortable shots. So like um, if he finds himself open from 18 feet, there's a reason for that. And he needs to understand that it's because it's just not a very good shot. So, um, you know, I, I think he's not getting a whole lot of calls at the rim. Part of that's an issue of strength too. He's not trusting himself to go in and, and draw contact, but um yeah, I mean, and, and then he's just young. I mean, he's young and playing on a bad team, and um, it's 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 going to happen. I, I hope that there's a player in there. I, I don't know that there is, but I don't know that we'd be able to find out, you know, from this season. Um, so I'm I'm trying to reserve, you know, too much judgment. Yeah, I don't think he's been helped by the the situation. I think. Uh, you know, some of his stuff is just going to take some time. And I, I will say this, and this is a take that, you know, it's not going to, it's the analytics folks out there are going to like be kind of poo-poo this. But I, I generally believe that sometimes we, as, and I do this all the time because I use the numbers, rely on the numbers a lot. There's like a human element to this that I think is worth noting. Um, Colin Sexton, when he was in high school, was like not a very known prospect. He made a big leap, right? Like he, there's something in him that drove him to become a lot better, to shine. That is like, he's very competitive. He's very fiery. He doesn't talk a lot with us media types and show his personality there. But if you watch him play, he's an emotive player. Um, he, he is very vocal. Like there is just this like little edge to him that I think is really interesting. There was something when he was a younger player that really drove him to become what he is and to get, you know, to become a, a top 10 pick and to, to really propel himself up the, the rent, the rankings and to get himself noticed. 
I want to see like what he looks like, like come October, he gets a summer in the weight room. He gets a summer to work on his craft. He gets a summer to just improve and reflect, get a coach in there. That's going to be his coach for the next couple of seasons. I want to see what he looks like when he gets a summer like that. Um, Your rookie summer is a little bit different. This team is a little bit different. You know, there's not the he hasn't had the best infrastructure to really support him. But I want to see how Colin Sexton, the human, like treats his rookie season and where that takes him. I think that's going to tell us a lot. Um, I'd be curious to like sort of know what his mindset is. I don't think he's going to be super open about all that, but I think there's something with him that I just want to see how he responds and kind of just reacts to his rookie year and what that drives him to do. Um, I, I just think that's like a question we need to keep in mind. And I think him as a human, I just want to think about how he is going to do that as opposed to like what the numbers tell us. Like, I think the numbers are telling us that he is struggling that, um, you know, he, I think it's right that he's not in the rising stars game, that there are clear areas of concern I want to see what like yeah, that, I think that's that all right. And um, he'll have where that takes you know, him. He'll have time this summer. Him. He'll um, he'll have time with the team. He'll have t- time on his own. He'll be able to reset some things. Um, you know, he's he's got speed. Um, he's got athleticism. I, I think he needs to continue tightening the handle, and he needs to build up some some strength uh, so that he feels a little more comfortable shooting. Uh, but hard to uh i'm not gonna bury him right now not after this season on this team um so we'll see what happens last question on sexton based on what you've seen so far and obviously there are there's a big chunk of games for us to left to watch with him has he done enough where you would like not take another guard uh, of his similar profile there's a certain guy at murray state that i think sort of fits that height mold no is, think, has he been enough I where you wouldn't take that guy the nba like draft three, is such a crap shoot where you you just have to take the guy that you think you can turn into you know a really positive nba player so um it, it, you get caught drafting for for fit you can get in trouble pretty quickly um and no i mean it's not I, I get on the Cavs for drafting Deion Waiters after drafting Kyrie Irving, but those skill sets would have been fine if Deion would have gotten to the player that he would have, you know, that, that the Cavs were hoping he would be, right? And so, um, and I think one of the positives about Colin Sexton is um, it's hard for me to see him sort of approaching things with another player of his skill set um, the same way that like a Dion approached Kyrie. Right. So um, I don't think Colin Sexton is like going to need to be the best player on the team. I, I hope that's not, I hope that's not a thing. Um, but, but we'll see. So no, I, I think you draft whoever you think the best player is going to be. I agree. And I do think it's worth noting that off ball Sexton had little experience with that coming into this year. And I think it's going to be something that he'll really need to work on. But if he can involve that part of the game, that will tell us a lot, I think, about what kind of fit will matter. But I think you're right. I think talent has to trump fit. Um, I think you have to just kind of find a way to make it work as long as it's not going to be an obscene thing. But that's a long ways away. The draft is a long ways away. There's a lot of basketball here to come um david thank you so much for for joining me on episode uh, one at of david zadek uh, uh, just Z-A-V-A-C. give everyone a plug out there where they can find you um, on twitter and you can find me at fear the sword again uh find me on twitter and facebook at cwm rights we're going to be having our itunes feed up in the next couple of days so please be on the lookout for that uh, but for now this has been episode one of the bottom a fear the sword podcast 
Be sure to listen tomorrow on fearlessword.com for the Thick Jacked Frames podcast with Trevor Magnotti. And when we do get that feed up, by the way, they will all be in one spot. So you don't need to subscribe to both podcasts. You can subscribe to that one feed. They'll all be there. But for myself, for David Zavok, this has been episode one of The Bottom. We'll talk to you again later this week.